0: section eight of ben the luggage boy or among the wharves by horatio alger jr this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tori falder chapter fifteen the room under the wharf it was at a late hour when the boys left the theatre the play had been of a highly sensational character and had been greeted with enthusiastic applause on the part of the audience particularly the occupants of the pit now as they emerged from the portals of the theatre various characteristic remarks of a commendatory character were interchanged how'd you like it ben asked barney bully said ben i like the fight best said barney jones give it to him just about right yes that was good said ben but i liked it best where alfonso says to montmorency kateef beware or by the heavens above my trusty sword shall drink thy foul heart's blood Ben gave this with the stage emphasis, so far as he could imitate it. Barney listened admiringly. I say, Ben, he replied, you did that bully. You'd make a tip-top actor. Would I, said Ben complacently. I think I'd like to try it if I knew enough. How much money have you got, Barney? Nary a red. I spent the last on peanuts. Just my case. We'll have to find some place to turn in for the night. I know a place, said Barney, if they'll let us in. Whereabouts is it? Down to Dover Street Wharf what sort of a place is it there ain't any boxes or old wagons are there no it's under the wharf a bully place under the wharf it's wet isn't it no you just come along i'll show you having no other place to suggest ben accepted his companion's guidance and the two made their way by the shortest route to the wharf named it is situated not far from fulton ferry on the east side it may be called a double wharf as originally built it was found too low for the class of vessels that used it and another flooring was built over the first, leaving a considerable space between the two. Its capabilities for a private rendezvous occurred to a few boys, who forthwith proceeded to avail themselves of it. It was necessary to carry on their proceedings secretly. Otherwise, there was danger of interference from the city police. What steps they took to make their quarters comfortable will shortly be described. When they reached the wharf, Barney looked about him with an air of caution, which Ben observed. "'What are you scared of?' asked Ben." We mustn't let the cops see us, said Barney. Don't make no noise. Thus admonished, Ben followed his companion with as little noise as possible. How do you get down there, he asked. I'll show you, said Barney. He went to the end of the wharf, and motioning Ben to look over, showed him a kind of ladder formed by nailing strips of wood at regular intervals, from the outer edge down to the water's edge. This was not an arrangement of the boys, but was for the accommodation of river boats landing at the wharf. I'll go down first, whispered Barney. If the cop comes along, move off so he won't notice nothing. All right, said Ben. Barney got part way down the ladder when a head was protruded from below, and a voice demanded, who's there? It's I, Barney Flynn. Come along, then. I've got a fellow with me, continued Barney. Who is it? It's Ben, the baggage smasher. He wants to stop here tonight. All right, we can trust him. Come along, Ben. Barney called up the ladder. Ben quickly commenced the descent. "'Barney was waiting for him "'and held out his hand to help him off. "'Our hero stepped from the ladder "'upon the lower flooring of the wharf "'and looked about him with some curiosity. "'It was certainly a singular spectacle "'that met his view. "'About a dozen boys were congregated "'in the room under the wharf "'and had evidently taken some pains "'to make themselves comfortable. "'A carpet of good size "'was spread over a portion of the flooring. "'Upon this, three beds were spread, "'each occupied by three boys.' those who could not be accommodated in this way laid on the carpet some of the boys were already asleep two were smoking and conversing in a low voice looking about him ben recognized acquaintances in several of them the description of the room under the wharf and the circumstances of its occupation by a company of street boys are not imaginary it was finally discovered and broken up by the police the details being given at the time in the daily papers as some of my new york readers will remember Discovery did not take place, however, until it had been occupied some time. "'Is that you, Mike Sweeney?' he asked of a boy stretched out on the nearest bed. "'Yes,' said Mike. "'Come and lay alongside of me.' There was no room on the bed, but Ben found some space beside it on the carpet and accordingly stretched himself out. "'How do you like it?' asked Mike. "'Tip-top,' said Ben. "'How'd you get the carpet and beds? Did you buy them?' "'Yes,' said Mike with a wink, but the man wasn't in and we didn't pay for him. "'You stole them then?' "'We took em, said Mike, who had an objection to the word stole. "'How did you get them down here without the cops seeing you?' "'We hid away in the daytime and didn't bring here till night. "'We came near getting caught. "'How long have you been down here?' "'Most a month. It's a good place.' "'Yes,' said Mike, and the rent is very reasonable. "'We don't have to pay nothing for lodgin'. It's cheaper than the lodge.' "'That's so,' said Ben. "'I'm sleepy,' he said, gaping. "'I've been to the old Bowery tonight. "'Good night. Good night.' In five minutes, Ben was fast asleep. Half an hour later, and not a sound was heard in the room under the wharf, except the occasional deep breathing of some of the boys. The policeman, who trod his beat nearby, little suspected that just at hand and almost under his feet, was a rendezvous of street vagrants and juvenile thieves. For such, I am sorry to say, was the character of some of the boys who frequented these cheap lodgings. In addition to the articles already described, there were two or three chairs which had been contributed by different members of the organization. Ben slept soundly through the night. When he woke up, the gray morning light entering from the open front towards the sea had already lighted up indistinctly the space between the floors. Two or three of the boys were already sitting up, yawning and stretching themselves after their night slumber. Among these was Mike Sweeney. "'Are you awake, Ben?' he asked." "'Yes,' said Ben. "'I didn't hardly know where I was at first. "'It's a bully place, isn't it?' "'That's so. "'How'd you come across it?' "'Oh, some of us boys found it out. "'We've been sleeping here a month. "'Won't you let a feller in? "'We might let you in. "'I'll speak to the boys. "'I'd like to sleep here,' said Ben. "'It's a good deal better than sleeping out round. "'Who runs the hotel? "'Well, I'm one of them. "'You might call it Sweeney's Hotel,' suggested Ben, laughing. "'I ain't the boss. "'Jim Bagley's got most to do with it.' "'Which is he?' That's he, over on the next bed. What does he do? He's a traveling match merchant. That sounds big. Jim's smart. He is. He makes more money than any of us. Where does he travel? Once he went to California in the steamer. He got a steerage ticket for $75, but he made more than that blacking boots for the other passengers before they got there. He stayed there three months and then came home. Does he travel now? Yes, he buys a lot of matches and goes up the river or down into Jersey and is gone a week. "'A little while ago, he went to Buffalo. "'Oh, yes, I know where that is. "'Blessed if I do. "'It's in the western part of York State, "'just across from Canada. "'Who told you? "'I learned it in school. "'I didn't know you was a scholar, Ben. "'I ain't now. "'I forgot most all I ever knew. "'I haven't been to school since I was ten years old. "'Where was that? "'In the country. "'Well, I never went to school more than a few weeks. "'I can read a little, but not much. "'It costs a good deal to go to Buffalo. "'How did Jim make it while he was gone?' oh he came home with ten dollars in his pocket besides paying his expenses what does jim do with all his money he's got a mother and sister up in bleaker street or somewheres round there he pays his mother five dollars a week besides taking care of himself why don't he live with his mother he'd rather be round with the boys i may remark here that jim bagley is a real character and all that has been said about him is derived from information given by himself in a conversation held with him at the newsboys lodging house He figures here, however, under an assumed name, partly because the record in which his real name is preserved has been mislaid. The impression made upon the mind of the writer was that Jim had unusual business ability and self-reliance and might possibly develop into a successful and prosperous man of business. Jim, by this time, was awake. Jim Bagley said, Mike, here's a feller would like to put up at our hotel. Who is he? asked Jim. The travel and match merchant, as Mike had described him, "'was a boy of 15, rather small of his age, with a keen black eye and a quick-decided business-like way. "'It's this feller. He's a baggage smasher,' explained Mike. "'All right,' said Jim. "'He can come if he'll pay his share.' "'How much is it?' asked Ben. "'Mike explained that it was expected of each guest to bring something that would add to the comforts of the rendezvous. Two boys had contributed the carpet, for which probably they had paid nothing.' Jim had supplied a bed, for which he did pay, as taking things without leave was not in his line. Three boys had each contributed a chair, thus all the articles which had been accumulated were individual contributions. Ben promised to pay his admission fee in the same way, but expressed a doubt whether he might not have to wait a few days in order to save money enough to make a purchase. He never stole himself, though his association with street boys, whose principles are not always very strict on this point, had accustomed him to regard theft as a venial fault provided it was not found out for his own part however he did not care to run the risk of detection though he had cut himself off from his old home he still felt that he should not like to have the report reach home that he had been convicted of dishonesty at an early hour the boys shook off their slumbers and one by one left the wharf to enter upon their daily work the newsboys were the first to go as they must be on hand at the newspaper offices early to get their supply of papers and fold them in readiness for early customers. The boot blacks soon followed, as most of them were under the necessity of earning their breakfast before they ate it. Ben also got up early and made his way to the pier of the Stonington line of steamers from Boston. These usually arrive at an early hour, and there was a good chance of a job in Ben's line when the passengers landed. Chapter 16. Ben Meets an Old Friend Ben had about half an hour to wait for the arrival of the steamer. Among the passengers who crossed the plank from the steamer to the pier was a gentleman of middle age and a boy about a year younger than Ben. The boy had a carpet bag in his hand. The father, for such appeared to be the relationship, carried a heavy valise besides a small bundle. Once your baggage carried, asked Ben, varying his usual address. The gentleman hesitated a moment. You'd better let him take it, father, said the boy. Very well, you may take this. "'and the valise was passed over to Ben. "'Give me the bag, too,' said Ben, addressing the boy. "'No, I'll take that. "'You'll have all you want to do in carrying the valise.' "'They crossed the street, and here the gentleman stood still, "'evidently undecided about something. "'What are you thinking about, Father?' "'I was thinking,' the gentleman said, after a slight pause, "'what I had better do. "'About what? "'I have two or three errands in the lower part of the city, "'which, as my time is limited, I should like to attend to at once.' you had better do it then. What I was thinking was that it would not be worthwhile for you to go round with me carrying the baggage. Couldn't I go right up to Cousin Mary's? asked his son. I'm afraid you might lose the way. This boy will go with me. I suppose he knows the way all about the city, don't you? he asked, turning to Ben. Where do you want to go? asked Ben. To number Madison Avenue. Yes, I can show you the way there well enough, but it's a good way off. You can both take the cars or stage when you get up to the Astor house. How will that do, asked Charles, for this was his name. I think that will be the best plan. This boy can go with you, and you can settle with him for his services. Have you got money enough? Yes, plenty. I will leave you here, then. Left to themselves, it was natural that the two boys should grow social. So far as clothing went, there was certainly a wide difference between them. Ben was attired, as described in the first chapter. Charles, on the other hand, wore a short sack of dark cloth, a white vest, and gray pants. A gold chain, depending from his watch pocket, showed that he was the possessor of a watch. His whole appearance was marked by neatness and good taste. But, leaving out this difference, a keen observer might detect a considerable resemblance in the features of the two boys. Both had dark hair, black eyes, and the contour of the face was the same. I regret to add, however, that Ben's face was not so clean as it ought to have been among the articles contributed by the boys who lived in the room under the wharf a washstand had not been considered necessary and it had been long since ben had regarded washing the face and hands as the first preparation for the labors of the day charles marston looked at his companion with some interest and curiosity he had never lived in new york and there was a freshness and novelty about life in the metropolis that was attractive to him is this your business he asked what smashing baggage inquired ben "'Is that what you call it?' "'Yes.' "'Well, is that what you do for a living?' "'Yes,' said Ben. "'It's my profession, when I ain't attending to my duties as a member of the Common Council.' "'So you're a member of the city government?' asked Charles, amused. "'Yes.' "'Do you have much to do that way?' "'I'm one of the Committee on wharves. said Ben. "'It's my business to see that they're right side up with care. "'Likewise, that nobody runs away with them in the night.' "'How do you get paid?' "'Well, I earn my lodge in that way just now,' said Ben.' Have you always been in this business? No, sometimes I've sold papers. How did you like that? I like baggage smashing best when I get enough to do. You don't live in the city, do you? No, I live just out of Boston, a few miles. Ever been in New York before? Once. That was four years ago. I passed through on the way from Pennsylvania where I used to live. Pennsylvania, repeated Ben, beginning to be interested. Whereabouts did you live there? In Philadelphia? No, a little way from there, in a small town named Cedarville. Ben started, and he nearly let fall the valise from his hand. "'What's the matter?' asked Charles. "'I came near fallen,' said Ben, a little confused. "'What's your name?' he asked rather abruptly. "'Charles Marston?' Ben scanned intently the face of his companion. He had good reason to do so, for though Charles little suspected that there was any relationship between himself and the ragged and dirty boy who carried his valise, the two were own cousins.' they had been schoolmates in cedarville and passed many a merry hour together in boyish sport in fact charles had been ben's favorite playmate as well as a cousin and many a time when he lay awake in such chance lodgings as the street provided he had thought of his cousin and wished that he might meet him again now they had met most strangely no longer on terms of equality but one with all the outward appearance of a young gentleman the other a ragged and ignorant street boy Ben's heart throbbed painfully when he saw that his cousin regarded him as a stranger, and for the first time in a long while he felt ashamed of his position. He would not for the world have revealed himself to Charles in his present situation, yet he felt a strong desire to learn whether he was still remembered. How to effect this without betraying his identity he hardly knew. At length he thought of a way that might lead to it. "'My name's Shorter yours," he said. "'What is it?' asked Charles. "'It's Ben.' That stands for Benjamin. So yours is the longest after all. That's so. I never thought of that. Everybody calls me Ben. What's your other name? Ben hesitated. If he said Brandon, he would be discovered. And his pride stood in the way of that. Finally, he determined to give a false name. So he answered after a slight pause, which Charles did not notice. My other name is Hooper. Ben Hooper. Didn't you ever know anybody of my name? What? Ben Hooper? No, Ben. Yes, I had a cousin named Ben. Is he as old as you, asked Ben, striving to speak carelessly. He is older if he is living, but I don't think he is living. Why don't you know? He ran away from home when he was ten years old, and we have never seen him since. Didn't he write where he had gone? He wrote one letter to his mother, but he didn't say where he was. That is the last any of us heard from him. What sort of a chap was he, inquired Ben. He was a one, wasn't he? No, Ben wasn't a bad boy. He had a quick temper, though, but whenever he was angry, he soon got over it. "'What made him run away from home?' "'His father punished him for something he didn't do. "'He found it out afterwards, but he is a stern man, "'and he never says anything about him. "'But I guess he feels bad sometimes. "'Father says he has grown old very fast since my cousin ran away.' "'Is his mother living, your aunt?' Ben inquired, "'drawn on by an impulse he could not resist. "'Yes, but she is always sad. "'She has never stopped mourning for Ben.' "'Did you like your cousin?' Ben asked, "'looking wistfully in the face of his companion.' Yes, he was my favorite cousin. Poor Ben and I were always together. I wish I knew whether he were alive or not. Perhaps you will see him again sometime. I don't know. I used to think so, but I have about given up hopes of it. It is six years now since he ran away. Maybe he's turned bad, said Ben. Supposing he was a ragged baggage smasher like me. You wouldn't care about seeing him, would you? Yes, I would, said Charles warmly. I'd be glad to see Ben again no matter how he looked or how poor he might be ben looked at his cousin with a glance of wistful affection street boy as he was old memories had been awakened and his heart had been touched by the sight of the cousin whom he had most loved when a young boy and i might be like him thought ben looking askance at the rags in which he was dressed instead of a walkin rag bag i wish i was and he suppressed a sigh it has been said that street boys are not accessible to the softer emotions but ben did long to throw his arm round his cousin's neck in the old affectionate way of six years since it touched him to think that Charlie held him in affectionate remembrance, but his thoughts were diverted by noticing that they had reached the Astor House. I guess we'd better cross the street and take the 4th Avenue cars, he said. There's one over there. All right, said Charles. I suppose you know best. There was a car just starting. They succeeded in getting aboard and were speedily on their way uptown. End of Section 8. Recording by Tory. Falder.